0: Hi and welcome back to The Scene Podcast. Another toozy of a play coming up for you today. But before we get to that, I just want to mention that depending on where you are in your journey through our catalogue, you might notice that the plays in season one were a little bit ropier in sound quality than the plays in season two and three. And this is because season one was recorded during lockdown. So all of the actors were trapped inside their houses using walkie talkies and baby monitors to record their parts and then sending the files into the scene HQ for us to stitch together. So I just wanted to add that as a little bit of a disclaimer. If you're yet to discover seasons two and three, boy, are you in for a treat because they just get a little bit smoother to listen to. But we are so proud of the work we did over lockdown in season one, we wouldn't change them for the world. And of course, really, it's all about the writing, which we hope you agree is excellent. No less true for this next play, Don't Move by Jessica Mallett. Don't Move follows a day in the life of a living statue working her pitch in London's iconic Covent Garden. Frustrated with the hand that life has dealt her, She is full of a quiet and motionless resentment as she glares out day after day from behind thick silver eyelashes. (laughs) This is Don't Move by Jessica Mallett.
1: 5.36 and I'm at my pitch. Forty minutes earlier, I was emptying a canister of silver hairspray onto my head. You've got to be early to take a claim to your spot. That pitch outside the Apple Store has been more disputed than the Falklands. I mean, it caused an out-and-out turf war between the floating Yoda and the Statue of Liberty. The others are all (laughs) completely bonkers too, of course. Being in your own head all the time, it it means things can get out of hand. There's a bronze cowboy who likes to fight, a misogynistic Victorian chimney sweep, and a sword juggler with a personality disorder. And then there's me. Ray tells me I'm wasting my youth. He's the 38 year old weed dealer I lodge with. He's fine, hardly ever tries to shag me. We prefer to spend our time together binge watching shows on Quest, Sometimes when Ray is feeling particularly vulnerable, he tries to give me some fatherly advice. During an ad break, he heaves himself up onto his elbow, dusting the debris from a bag of K peanuts out of his belly button and tells me how I'd be much better off getting a bar job at his local. Which also happens to be a strip club. How old are you again? 23? Yeah, yeah, they probably have ya, yeah. I wouldn't hang about though, like, and you have to start dressing nice. He's a sweetheart. Charges me pittance on the rent, mainly because his flat's a shithole, but also because I'm no trouble. Not to him, anyway. You don't see a lot when you're performing. You keep your eyes lowered to hide the blinking and hands together to stop the ache, but you can hear everything. Well, we're the hotshot Tottenham, we're the mighty Spurs. Everybody knows we're the football connoisseurs. A stag dude's just been thrown out of Bar Italia. One of them stumbles towards me in his v-neck. Alright, darling. He looks like cooked ham. Gis a smile. He drops 20p into my hat and tries to grab my tit. I catch his hand and look him straight in the eye, digging my nails into his palm as he snickers nervously. Like it rough, do ya? I hold on for a beat too long and his eyes begin to water. All right, that's enough. His mate drops a quid in and I let go. Fucking bitch. The cooked ham backs away now. All bravado. She's proper fucking mental, that one. I blow him a kiss. After all, I'm grateful for the interaction. It's the hecklers and the manhandlers who keep me on my toes. Two weeks ago... Ray told me his mum was dying. We were watching the bingo channel at the time. I was playing for a line. We're playing for a line. If you're in the game, get ready because here we go. Doctor came today. 24, two and four, 24. Oh, same Indian fella she swore at last time. Uh Uh-huh. 66, all the sixes, 66. 66, yes, got that one. Said she didn't have long. Number three on its own, number three. Fuck. Oh, no. Fuck. Yeah, I know. I've got no three. What? I've got no three? Oh. Sorry, what were you saying? <laughs> it doesn't matter. I heard what he was saying, but I wasn't in the mood for it. I'd just come off the back of a 12-hour shift. I'd barely made 40 quid and about five minutes before I was about to clock off, a tramp tried to piss on my shoes. Tweak of the thumb, 51. Ray was slumped in his chair looking all forlorn, like a sad, hairy walrus in a villa shirt. I don't know why he was so upset. His mum was pushing 80, drank her meals through a straw and had an unsettling propensity for racism. His eyes were sort of glazing over now. He turned towards me. I hope to God he wasn't gonna cry. We're missing salvage hunters. And there he was. (laughs) Good old Ray, back to his old self. I don't much care for people breaking character like that. About quarter to seven, a banker stops by. He stares at me for a good 30 seconds, slurping his mammoth coffee. I peek at him through my silvery encrusted eyelashes and give him a wink. He finishes his coffee and tells me to get a job. From ten onwards, it's all tourists. They approach nervously, suspecting I'm the one in charge. A little girl shrieks when I touch her hair. Her stupid mother snaps away wildly with a giant Nikon. She hasn't even taken the lens cap off. A small crowd gather and everyone wants a piece. They talk like I can't hear them. They call me it. And then the contortionist with the head mic starts his piece and I know I've lost them. Standing here, it's it's like an ongoing audition. This square drenched in grime and grease and dried vomit is my stage. The bodies that swarm here are my audience. Whenever I see some, some middle-aged theatre type walking past with a certain air of self-righteousness about him, I, I go through my entire range. It's relentless. But all I need is one person to recognise my talent. Sunday evening. The care home that's looking after Ray's mum rings again. She's weak. It's not long now. Ray leaves immediately, but he's back within the hour. Ding dong, the witch is dead. He sobs, just like he did that time Villa got demoted, rivulets of snot glistening in his five o'clock shadow. I give him a blowjob, which shuts him up for a bit. I think about how precarious the circle of life is as I stand in the bathroom gargling Listerine. Maybe I should find someone to settle down with, fall in love, buy a boxy new build house invest in a kitchen Aid. I peel one of Ray's pubes off my tongue and decide against it. It's lunchtime. The couple who live in the flat above Dirty Martinis have been trying for a baby. Every lunch hour for the past eight weeks, they've been at it like rabbits. Fat Boy arrives first. He peels off his shirt the moment he gets in and stands by the front window eating a Twix. Nosy Parker turns up a few minutes later. She trots across the square, huffing and puffing like she's fleeing from the inevitable march of time ticking on her body clock. She scrabbles around furiously for her keys and lets herself in. They get to it right away. No time for niceties, just good old-fashioned pounding on the sofa. His milky white arse cheeks wobbling about, her legs flip-flapping with the straps on her Mary-Janes digging into her swollen, purple feet. Listen. There's something deeply moving about their desperation to procreate. Like some primordial alarm has gone off somewhere in that flat and they've got this intense urge and insatiable need and in that moment nothing else matters to them. Hmm. I sometimes feel the same if I haven't had a kebab after a night out. Well, that was a pile of wank. Couldn't even be bothered to kill her off properly. Do you know how much those writers get paid? No. Me neither. I bet it's a shitload. Mmm. What do you want to watch? Uh, Paranormal Lockdown starting on Quest. Yeah, but you hate that. Yeah. I want you to choose. Why? Choose. Just whatever. Do you want a cup of tea? Are you alright? The solicitor rang about mum's will a few days ago. Right. Turns out I'm the sole beneficiary. Well, that's no surprise, is it? Didn't sound like you had many friends. It's not that. The inheritance. It was, it was more than I was expecting. Well, congratulations. Maybe you can buy yourself a new t-shirt. Like, like a lot more. Well, she kept quiet about that when you were struggling to pay for the care home, didn't she? I know. So, what are you going to do with it? I've uh, put an offer down on a place in Margate. It's way bigger than here. Nice little garden and some fancy little skylights. Spare room as well, if you ever want to come and visit. <laughs> are you selling the flat? Nah. Nah, not for a bit. Not with Brexit in that. I'll just rent it out. So I'm getting a new flat, mate? Well, actually, er... Uh, the agent said I could get more for it if I put it on as a two-bed. You've already spoken to an agent? Look, look, I know this is happening fast. It's just, it's going to be hard for me too, you know? Hard for you? Hard for you how? Well, I've lived here ages, haven't I? I've, I've got to sort through all my stuff. Then I've got to hire a van and cart it all to Margate and that won't come cheap. So you're kicking me out? Yeah. When? I booked myself a flight to Dubai on Friday. Nice little six-week all-inclusive jobby. (laughs) So? So I've put the flat on Airbnb. (sighs) Friday? You want me out by Friday? Yeah. You can't can't do this. This is illegal. No, it ain't. I've got rights. Well, technically, you haven't. We never drew up a contract. You just sort of moved in. Can can we at least talk about this? There's nothing I can do. Please, Ray. Please. I I need this place. I I can't afford anywhere else. I'd have to leave everything behind. Sorry. Time's nearly up. Cheap suits are starting to infiltrate the square for their obligatory round of Friday night beers. A rush hour of mid-weight city workers trying to prove they don't completely hate their jobs. A group of kids are circling them, looking for an unattended wallet or some idle drunk to leave their iPhone protruding from a trouser pocket. I glanced down at my cab. I emptied some of the cash into my knickers earlier. It was barely enough to cover a week's train fare, but a few notes have wafted their way in since. The bronze cowboy is packing up now, hedging his bets that this evening's revellers won't bring in the final flurry. The sword juggler and the chimney sweep were off ages ago, but I like my chances. People seem to get slightly giddy in the summer months. If it's anything above 25 degrees, it suddenly becomes acceptable to start talking to strangers on the tube. Droves of sun-kissed merrymakers with a Bluetooth speaker take to the Piccadilly line like they're on their way to Glastonbury. When I was on my way home a few weeks ago, one such party boy leaned in to ask me if I was going Scala. Spilt half a can of frothy red stripe down my top. It was half past eight on a Tuesday. I nearly punched him in the throat. But... With such frivolities afoot, I was going to wait it out and reap the rewards. Besides, drunk people are always more likely to drop you a tenner, thinking it was just a fiver. I look down at my cap again. It's gone. One of the kids is sprinting across the square, my cap tucked firmly beneath his armpit. Stop him! I give chase. The little fucker can shift. The cap is passed on to another kid in the group. I switch targets. Thief! A police car pulls up. I wave them over. He's getting away! They're out there then. Two burly coppers. This way! They follow. We tear across the road. Quick right, then left, then right. The group of kids scatter towards Leicester Square. I spot him, the one with my cap. He's darted into a side road. He's gone that way! The policeman starts running towards me. He hasn't heard. Tavistock Street! Still towards me. You're losing him! Then right in that moment, the penny drops. I stop running. They say when you drown, there's a moment when you feel a sudden sense of calm. Ecstasy, even. I think I understand. It's the same moment you realise you don't have any control. You see the police... (laughs) aren't here because of the kid. They're here because of me. It wasn't hard, watching Ray breathe his last. Couple of benzos crushed into his farewell glass of Carver, and he was out like a light. Didn't even struggle when I pushed the pillow into his face. Half an episode of Aussie Gold Hunters and it was all over. In fact, it was easy. Oh. Nosy Parker stopped outside her flat, gawping at the blue lights with her mouth open. I tell her, the show's over. She's got a carrier bag from Superdrug. I spot the blue lettering of a pregnancy test pressed up against it. I smile to myself as they cuff me. <laughs> Good on him, I say. Looks like the fuck fest has finally paid off.
0: Mm, God, I'll never look at her living statue in the same way ever again. Don't Move was written by Jessica Mallett and it was performed by Valencia Spearpoint. Sound design was by the team at Jano Media who also produced the episode in association with Get Over It Productions. Our season jingle was written by Emma McGrath. Hey, I tell you what, why don't you come and check out our website and if you're a writer and you've got a piece of writing, as writers tend to do, that's what they do, they sit and they write things and they end up with things that have been written, send it in to us. If you think that you've got something that could create a nice little pod play like this, that's what we're all about here at The Scene Podcast. We're giving your writing a digital lift. So maybe do that tonight, just before you go to bed. But for now, you can crack on and listen to our next pod play. We'll see you over there. Bye.